We pick up the uh, gospel narrative here in Luke's gospel where we kind of left off uh, towards the end of our Advent Christmas season. And John the Baptist, who's been prominent for us in Advent, is now fading away. He's been in prison and we don't see him anymore. And Jesus enters the scene as an adult. And we, the last time we heard from Jesus, he had been, remember when he was in the temple, his parents couldn't find him, and he was in the temple, and they found him, and he said, hey, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? And uh, what Luke says after that is, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But we haven't seen Jesus as an adult until he comes on the scene here, as we as Luann read for us in Luke chapter 3. Who is this Jesus character? What is he all about? We find ourselves asking these questions, just as people in that day asked, and people around us all the time asked. Who is Jesus anyways, and what is he all about? Luke owns what people naturally wonder about Jesus and about ourselves. Where do we come from? Who are we? And where are we going? Where have we come from? Who in the world are we? And where are we headed? Folks say that if you visit the Maori people of New Zealand, if you visit them today, many of them today are devout Christians, but if you visit them, many of them can tell you which of the eight large canoes that their family came to New Zealand in 800 to 1,000 years ago. Now, of course, I'm sure there's a lot of fabrication and things, but they trace themselves back to one of those eight original canoes. I don't know how my family originally got from Germany over here, but uh, I can tell you that my dad and I were born and raised in the high plains of New Mexico. His dad was born in Mississippi. His dad, I don't know where he was born, but then somewhere back, a few dads beyond, was born in Baltimore. And in the 1740s, somebody named Peter Strebeck had a wagon and a team. The first wagon and team in Baltimore, you know, reportedly. And then before that, we were in Germany. We're fascinated by where we've come from. We want to know where our roots are. We want to know upon what kind of ground we stand and what our company is that we keep. I've got an image here uh, that I dug up from the archives about another kind of history that we're curious about. This is a is the baptismal font in the church where I grew up. And I, my whole life I wondered what the heck that thing was and what those funny little squigglies were. And now I realize, it took me you know, about 30 years to realize that those were supposed to be flames and that that is a baptismal font. And so... Somewhere around the time I was about six months old, my parents dragged me up there and somebody splashed water all over me and baptized me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so I had the family history thing that I knew about and I'm going to learn about, but I also my parents immersed me in a different history, a history that led me here that brought all of us together, a history without which none of us would be here in the first place. We wouldn't gather on Sundays like this if we didn't believe and trust that we were the family of God, that we were Christ's holy church, that we had been marked, 
that we had been redeemed, that we had been bought with a price, that we've been set free from our sins and we've been called to live a different life, a light that's constantly bringing light into darkness and hope to the hopeless. So the text that Lou Ann read, Jesus is baptized. When all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying. I love how just the, the links that Luke goes to to describe how involved Jesus is with the people. That all of us, any ordinary people, that we're, we're connected here in this story. All the people that were baptized, oh and by the way, Jesus was baptized too. Just right there with the common folk. Right there with us. He stands in the waters of the Jordan with all the ordinary people. Redeeming that pathway. Owning a way. Making a way for us to stand. When Jesus had been baptized and he was praying, this apocalyptic scene is described that happens. So Luke doesn't go into the details. He doesn't even mention John. He doesn't say how Jesus was baptized or how long it took or which people were around. He was just after he was baptized. Sometime after he was baptized, we don't know how long, he was praying. And as he was praying, some things begin to happen. And some characters show up. So Jesus is being, he's, he's praying, and in verse 22, or excuse me, verse 21, first thing is the heavens are open. And the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. So we have this full Trinitarian picture of the Son at prayer, the heavens are open and the Spirit descends and the voice of the Father speaks. You, Jesus, are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Remember, this is before Jesus has done anything. Luke tells us he's about 30 years old, which was the age of eligibility for public office. He's getting ready to do some things, but he hasn't done anything yet that would be noteworthy or that would get him that A-plus rating. But before any of that happens, the foundational beginning event of Jesus' ministry, our understanding of Jesus as the one who would come and save us, is he stands or sits or kneels or is on his face at prayer and the Father speaks to him, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The baptismal waters are foundational for us. They remind us who we are. That at the core of who we are, we are beloved sons and daughters. There's nothing we can do to earn that, to deserve it more or less. It's the beginning point for all of us. As we begin to relate to God and relate to others as Christians. This is my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Begins to answer the question, who is Jesus? Well, he's the beloved son of God. Where has he come from? Well, we know our theology tells us he certainly came from heaven, but he was born also of a virgin. So we're seeing this happen, this mystery. Fully God, fully human. And we're about to find out where Jesus is going. Luke intends for us to read at Jesus' baptism, as Jesus is praying, 
that this is the form, as Leanne mentioned, that we will follow as disciples. There will be a time where we will be invited to come through the waters of baptism. There will be times where we will be at prayer. This will be a governing event for our lives, a way that we follow up on who we are. As beloved sons and daughters, we will be at prayer. So what can we expect when we are at prayer? When you and I are at prayer, we're at prayer as the gathered church. When we're at prayer, uh, as we go to bed at night, when we're at prayer, we wake up in the morning, we're driving down the road, we're sitting in a classroom. What should we expect the Holy Spirit to be doing in us while we pray? What's going to be happening? If that's what the Holy Spirit was doing while Jesus was praying, what's he going to be doing while we're praying? The first thing we've already mentioned, the Holy Spirit will confirm who we are. Confirm who you are will confirm who I am. We have a great need for this. I don't think we could ever hear it enough. We can't ever be reaffirmed enough that we belong to somebody, that we have a purpose, that we came from somewhere. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's this mutual conversation happening, and our spirit is listening, engaging with the Spirit of God, and reminding us, confirming in us, that we are God's children. We aren't accidental. Somewhere along the way, we were adopted. We belong now in God's family, and that's our identity. Beloved sons and daughters, with whom the Father is very pleased points to the foundational event in our lives, which is our baptism. The second thing we should expect from the Holy Spirit while we're praying in the course of our lives, our Christian lives, is that we are prepared. The Holy Spirit confirms in us who we are and then begins to prepare us for where we're headed. We're not just baptized and then sort of left in the church pew to spend the rest of our Christian lives just kind of being known and existing as people who just sort of sit. But we are an active people on mission, beginning right here in the waters of our baptism. We are anointed for mission. Just like the kings of old were anointed with water and oil, we are anointed with water for mission. Luke continues to mention the Holy Spirit in these chapters and Jesus picks up on this when he quotes Isaiah, when he begins his ministry. We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to, and then he lists some things, to preach good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind and these kinds of things. We are anointed for tasks. We're anointed for a life of ministry. We're anointed for a life of service. We're anointed for mission. We're given a reason for why we were brought through the waters. Another thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in us that we should expect to be doing in us while we're at prayer is that the Holy Spirit is giving us life. That's the life, of course, that we carry with us into any kind of mission, but He's giving us life. He's reminding us where we have come from and what we have to give. Because if we're not full of life, then we can't very well share life. So, a big part of the Holy Spirit's work as we pray is just filling us with life, renewing us. The thing about genealogies and our interest in that sort of thing is they provide us with a certain measure of security. It tells us, okay, 
all right, so if, I, if I'm part of this family and I came from here, then when it all shakes out, I won't be left out in the cold. That's what every genealogy is going to tell us to some degree or another. And the genealogies in the Bible, of course, are trying to communicate something. They're trying to affirm someone's identity, convinced that this is someone we should listen to. And so we have it. Where did this person come from? How can we trust them? We don't know where they came from. And so these genealogies tell us, oh, okay, he's the son of so-and-so and son of so-and-so and son of so-and-so. And Matthew tells it all the way back to Abraham. That's where Jesus has come from. Luke's genealogy is very unique. It's, it's different. Uh, my resident genealogical expert in my house, uh, Ethan, our son, who's 11, uh, he quickly picked up when I showed him these genealogies side by side. He said, hmm, he said, that's interesting, Dad. He goes, he kind of goes backwards. Oh, Luke, he, he, goes, he goes backwards the other direction. I'm like, yeah, son, that's, that's exactly what he does. And some things are different, and people have picked up on those differences. Uh, Matthew has things rolling through David and then through Solomon. Luke has things rolling through David and through a lesser-known son that we hardly hear about named Nathan. And we don't know really anything else about him, but that's the way the genealogy goes. It's very unique. Luke's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. So this guy is connected to Adam. He's the son of God. Another reminder. I think part of what Luke's doing here, I mean, there's all kinds of different theories for why this happens and trying to figure out the historical validity of, well, was Joseph's dad's name this or was it this or was that Mary so-and-so and yada, yada. And there's a lot of great theories out there. Lots and lots of pages written about it. It's very interesting. But I think definitely what Luke's trying to say with all of this is that there's a curse that's being reversed. Things are being turned upside down in a way that's going to benefit those who are united to Jesus. Adam is the first sort of son of God that we're familiar with. So Luke ending his genealogy with Adam, it makes us wonder. And then we see that as Jesus, the very next thing that happens is Jesus goes into the wilderness, led by the Spirit. We'll talk about that later led by the Spirit, to be tempted by the devil. We remember that story. Adam, Adam did that too, right? He was tempted by the devil. And we remember that Adam failed. And Adam left us with a curse. Adam made stuff harder for us. And so Jesus, as Luke tells the story, he comes onto the scene and he begins to reverse this burden that we've carried. Thanks to Adam. He begins to turn this, the tables of this whole deal. What Adam was unable to do, Jesus does perfectly. So he's anointed and he has authority to give us life. If the Spirit gives us purpose and prepares us for mission, I think the genealogy, in this case here, reminds us that of where the power comes from for us to live this mission that God has called us to. You may be thinking about something that you've felt called to for a long time and some work maybe you've done, you continue to do, and maybe you're there and just need some encouragement to keep doing the work that Christ called you to some time ago. Maybe you've wondered 
what your purpose is in the church and in the kingdom and in the world, and you're listening for some clarification. Maybe you've never even considered that as a son or daughter of God that you would have a mission, that you would be a part of a greater purpose, something that God would be doing in the world. As we begin to grapple and continue to grapple with those things, we're reminded that the funding, that the power for whatever it is that God calls us to is provided by the Holy Spirit. It's provided by the work of Christ reversing this curse, the curse of Adam, enabling us to go about our work in the kingdom of God. As I think about baptism and how it's this foundational event for all of us and a mysterious event for all of us and something that happens uh, a little differently for all of us, I was reminded of an event this past summer. Uh, the occasion was my granddad's funeral. So we're gathered in the sanctuary where I ignored so many sermons and folded so many paper airplanes out of the bulletins and crawled under so many pews to harass the people around me and developed harebrained theories about God and Santa Claus and everything else. I was in that sanctuary, not in the pew this time, but I found myself standing on a stage. And the stage has kind of been modified and things look a little differently. But as I'm getting ready to stand up there and try to work my way through this funeral sermon, I looked over and I noticed that baptismal call. And so there we had it on the same stage. Birth and death. Death and resurrection. And I can't tell you how grateful I was to have been raised by, in a large part, my grandfather and to have kind of been given one final job by him, uh, which was to preach that service. And I cried my way through it and wiped my nose all the way through it and made it through, all the while just glancing over at that baptismal part. And thinking as grateful as I was to be raised in that family, if I'm honest and I'm seeing right, I'm most grateful that they placed me in another family. That they put me in a family that would take priority over our family of origin. And those baptismal waters is how they marked it. It's how they made sure that on the days which are many that I would doubt whether or not I'm a child of God, whether or not I'm a member of Christ's church, that I can look back at an ordinary symbol like water, like an eight-sided, or in that case, a round piece of furniture that would hold water, that would remind me of God's action in my life. Before I was born, as I was born, in all the years that I ran away from God, bringing me back to himself, awakening me to his purposes for my life. And this is what's at stake. Nothing less than the memory of who we are as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father. Maybe especially the times when we doubt, when we wonder, is that really me? 
Do I really have a place in that family? When it's all said and done and the role is called up yonder and there's this great banquet imagery we read about in Scripture and we celebrate in Holy Communion and when all that shakes out and we're feasting together, do I get a place at that table? Do I have a place there? And if we honestly ask that question and we honestly take inventory of our lives, we will question. And we will doubt. And we will face the fact that none of us are good enough to get there. And so we'll be reminded. This is the hope. We'll be reminded as often as we can that we belong before we ever really understand what we're getting ourselves into that Christ has prepared a place for us. That someone loved us enough to invite us to or drag us through the waters of baptism and that water serves now as a reminder to us of where we've come from who we are and where we're headed